Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have the second part of Scott's keynote address at the Brethren in Christ General Assembly on following Christ. In your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here we go. Following Jesus means to follow Jesus right into a difficult relationship. And now what does it look like? It looks like Jesus when you do this. Here's what he said. Who, being in the very nature God, and it can be translated, because he was in the very being God, And because this is what God is like, first, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, to play power games, to play privilege, to play power, to play status, to play hierarchy, to play age, to play money, to play education. Does that cover enough? To play politics... He said, no, rather, instead of doing that, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, the point is this, because he was God, He did not choose to use his own power and status for his own advantage. He chose instead to give himself redemptively for others. In the middle of a difficult relationship, to follow Jesus in the way of Jesus is to ask, how can I make this person's life redemptive? Now that is not fun. It's easy if it's someone you like. But it's difficult if it's someone you don't like, and that's why Jesus said it, for the people you don't like. And he's calling you and me in the midst of difficult relationships, economic relationships, political relationships, educational relationships, denominational relationships, not to say, how can I move forward in this game of power and prestige and reputation, but how can I make that person's life more redemptive? How can I give myself for that person? You know what happens when we do this? Like-mindedness arrive. One mind arrives. Selfish ambition dies. That's what happens. We surrender ourselves for the good of another, and the other becomes a part of our life, and we love them, and they love us in return. And all of a sudden, the harmony of the gospel is expressed and heard. So in relationships, Paul discovered that the way of Jesus, following Jesus, was transformative and turned selfish ambition into other promotion. All right, now, we've got to move on. I'm a professor, you know, we make points. So I'm going to the next point, and that is James. This is one of my favorite 
demonstrations of what it means to form ourselves to the way of Jesus and to follow Jesus and to exhibit Christoformity. James wrote a letter of five chapters. And I would encourage you to do something as an assignment. And this is fun. Read the whole book of James in one sitting. And in the margin, just put a a tick or a dot, whatever you do. You know, it's okay to write in your Bible. It's all right. Or do something in, in the margins of every paragraph if you think that sounds like a teaching of Jesus. Do this sometime. Read, say, James 1, 22 to 24, where James says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, that sounds like the Sermon on the Mount at the end, but it's not not a quotation. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone you're looking for, you know, who built his house upon the sand or a rock. But no, not James, who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, screams. No, that's not what it says. (laughs) He goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, he didn't do anything about it. He saw that there were many hairs out of place, which I don't have a problem with. I I thin my hair. I'm not actually bald. This This is a hair process. Instead of doing something, he forgets. But whoever looks intently, and now Jesus, James, flips the language of the law, the Torah, into language that sounds like the Jesus creed of loving God and loving others, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious, he continues, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Now tell me that this next line doesn't sound like Jesus. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, here's something that's interesting. Because it is likely, you have to accept my thesis for this to make sense, and I'm right, so you better accept it. That's the way. I'm a professor. We're right. That's how we do things. If you lost one parent in the Jewish world, you, you were considered an orphan. You didn't have to lose both parents, just one parent. So, Who is he talking about, orphans and widows? It's his family. His brother, Jesus, and his mother, Mary. And James knew the people who had the best religion. They looked after his family, and they cared for it. Now, that's just one example. You can read the book of James and find this, and this is what's really weird. James is sounds like Jesus kind of guy all the way through the letter. And he gets to James 5.12 and he finally quotes Jesus. And I'm not kidding you, it's the weirdest thing that ever happened. Because you got to go, and you waited till then, 
and you said what? Look at what he says in James 5.12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Really? (laughs) And this above all could be seen as, now this is the most important thing I have to say. And you think, man, for five chapters, you have not talked about this. And now you've really surprised. It's a real, nobody knows why it finishes that way. But here's the thing about James. James sounds like Jesus in every paragraph without quoting him. And you can only do this if you follow Jesus so deeply that every time you talk, you sound like him. In the Jewish world, this is called wisdom or chokmah. In wisdom, you have to have a sage, someone who is wise, a hakam, and you have to have a student who is willing to receive. And I call that posture of reception reverent reception or receptive reverence. A wise sage is someone you can go to and you can ask a question, and when you ask it, you know the answer is worthy of doing. That's wisdom. And James had received the teachings of Jesus as wisdom. So much so that it transformed his entire language so that he sounded like Jesus on every page. I think it's beautiful. All right, now, we need wisdom in our churches. Now, I'm just going to say something, and, I, and this is really important, and it's right, okay? We are not a wisdom culture. We are a youth culture. People are trying to figure out how to look young when they're not. Okay? At 45, no more skinny jeans. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And this applies to men. I don't talk about what women wear. They can wear anything they want. I'm not saying a word. All right. Now, here's the point. In the 1950s and 60s, this has been pointed out by several sociologists, the church shifted from a wisdom culture, they don't call it this, to a youth culture. In shifting to a youth culture from a wisdom culture, the gray hairs of our communities, the bald heads of our community, lost the desire to be sages for the younger people. And the younger people lost interest in the sages. And we began to hire youth, not wisdom. We began to be concerned with relevance, not the value of tradition. We valued what was freshest and newest and not what was wisest and the most experience-based. Wisdom is to live in God's world in God's way, and God's way is Christ. So genuine wisdom is Christoformity. And each of us needs to find people who can be sages for our life. And I don't know why this happened to me, but when I was a young professor, I went to an older professor who was bald, but he had really long hair and mutton chops. He is a really bright scholar and a wonderful, godly Christian man. His name was Murray Harris. And I made a decision that every time I had something important to decide about my academic career and my teaching classes, subject matter, and major ideas, that I would ask him about it. 
And I made a subtle commitment in my heart that whatever he told me to do, I would do, whether I agreed with it or not. He was always right. And I'm not saying I always did what he told me. (laughs) But when I didn't, I was wrong. We need wisdom. We all need wisdom. And those of you with gray hairs and bald heads, we need you. We need you at the table with the young people who wear skinny jeans. They need to hear from you, and you need to hear from them. We need to develop relationships of nurture where the young people can count on the the wisdom of sages in their church. That's how James saw Jesus. He was a sage, and he could listen to him, and he listened to him so intently that he followed everything he said. Now, my final example is the Apostle John, the Apostle John, who, I'm sure this is a rock song, was stuck on love. I don't know if it is. As far as I'm concerned, rock music stopped with the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Since then, it's been all downhill, except for Celine Dion. I don't have good taste. I just, there's some things I listen to. I'm not a musician. You're surprised. Listen to the words of John in 1 John. We know that we have come to know God, or Jesus, the Lord, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Christ. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Now that's what you call Christoformity. How is it understood here? As love. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. John can't can't quite figure out if it's an old command or a new command, so he says it's both. (laughs) Its truth is seen in Jesus and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, John's world is a world of either or. Rhetorically, he wants people to make decisions. You either walk in the light or you walk in darkness. You either love your brother and sister or you hate them. But love is the mark of following in the way of Jesus for John. To follow Jesus is to learn to love one another. Love is like forgiveness and C.S. Lewis, a delightful idea until you have someone you don't like that you're supposed to love. And we all have natural enemies, and Jesus knew that too, so he said, love your enemies. 
turn them into neighbors, which raises a very important question. What is love? I have five world-changing points. Stunning. Your life will be shifted by these. I'm just saying that. All right. The first one is this. Love in the Bible is a rugged commitment. You know, the Hebrew word is, is berit. The Greek word is diatheke. We translate this word, these words as covenant. But covenant is so religious, it means nothing. In the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, a covenant is a rugged commitment. It's rugged. The covenant that God makes with Israel is anything but smooth sailing. Israel is sometimes faithful, not always, but Yahweh remains faithful. Second, love is also affective. It is emotional. One of the words used for love in the Old Testament, for God's love for Israel, hashak, is a word that is used for erotic love in Song of Solomon. It is saying that Yahweh has fallen in love with Israel. Hosea describes this in the wilderness, that Yahweh woos Israel into the wilderness so that her love will return. It, you know, to quote Celine Dion, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> but that's the theme of Hosea chapter 2, is that Yahweh is going to woo Israel back. And this is affective, emotional love. So love is a rugged, affective commitment. Third, love is a commitment of presence. I will be with you. I will be with you in the pillar of a cloud and fire. I will be with you in the Shekinah presence, in the glory of the temple. I will be with you at Christmas when Yahweh says, His name shall be called Emmanuel. I will be with you in the Holy Spirit who is called Parakletos, who is our advocate and who is our presence. And in Revelation chapter 21, Yahweh, God, will be with his people again. This is a rugged, affective commitment of presence. The preposition is with. God will be with us. Fourth, love is advocacy. It is a rugged, affective commitment of presence and advocacy. And it works this way. If you, advocacy means, um, in the Old Testament, is, I've got your back, I'm in your corner, I am your God, you will be my people, is a commitment by Yahweh that he will be their warrior God and defender. In the Bible, then, presence precedes advocacy. People know that you are for them because you have enough time to spend with them. People know forness from withness. You can't say forness if you don't have the time to, of withness. Parents and children know these things. That children grow up knowing their parent loves them because their parents are always there. Because of presence. Fifth, love has direction direction. The preposition is unto. The preposition of unto tonight is about Christoformity, of Christ-likeness. Love is a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone, and to 
journey with them into Christ-likeness. Love is such a wonderful idea until you figure out what it is and what it means and what it means to love your enemy. This is one of the secrets of the Anabaptist tradition, friends. It's something that I learned deeply from Anabaptist teachers, and that is that when someone strikes against us, we pray for them. We work with them. We try to turn them from enemies into neighbors because that is the way of Jesus. That is the way to follow Jesus. Now, what does this mean in our world today? It means you really have to like people who vote for both parties. You know what I'm saying? All right? This is not easy because our Internet is filled with vitriol against people who vote for the opposite party. Both ways. We have become enemies. And you're Anabaptist. It is yours to become the peacemaker by demonstrating to them that you are willing to love them in a rugged, effective commitment of presence. This means coffee. Good coffee. Don't buy that drip stuff. <laughs> no Sanka. There is no fellowship in crystallized coffee. That's right here in the Bible. You think I'm kidding? It's all over the Bible. It means breakfast together. It means lunch together. It means dinner. It means picnics. It means let's get together and talk. I'm going to turn you from an enemy into a friend by talking to you. I'll finish with this. I tried this one time. Someone wrote a blog about me, a blog post, and he was nasty. And one of my friends wrote me, so I get up in the morning, you know, 5.30, you look at your computer, the top one, did you see what so-and-so said about you? Of course I did. No, I hadn't, and I didn't want to know about it that early in the morning. But I checked, and it wasn't nice, and he ripped into me. Uh, Another professor, you know. Of course, he wasn't Anabaptist. He was reformed, which I thought would be (laughs) totally appropriate for those kinds of people. (laughs) So I made this commitment. I made a commitment that when he wrote his next book, I was going to review it on my blog. But that's about as deep as my faith got and my Christian commitment got. But as as I saw what book he was writing was coming out, I decided that I would try grace and see what happens so I did I wrote I read the book carefully I summarized it accurately I made all the positive affirmations I could make and I had a couple zingers in there you know just to let him know that I'm watching (laughs) and then I sent the review to this person and the person wrote back something like this You're nicer to me than I am to you. We have become friends. We communicate sometimes as much as 10 times a week on the internet, and we talk on the phone. And one day he called me and said, I know you're going to be speaking in Europe. I'm praying for you, brother. Well, you know, sometimes it works. I'm not saying it always works. 
But that was an Anabaptist response to aggression. And sometimes grace turns cycles of ungrace into cycles of grace. The way of Jesus, to follow Jesus, is to follow Jesus into relationships of surrendering ourselves for others. It is to follow Jesus into the way of his language so that we begin to talk and think like Jesus and sound like Jesus. And it is to follow Jesus in the way of loving our enemies and loving our brothers and sisters. And in that way, we follow Jesus. 